for the reading of God's Word this week from Philippians chapter 3, verses 17 to 21. Philippians 3, chapter, uh, chapter 3, verses 17 to 21. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. This is God's inerrant, inspired, and holy word. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word that speaks the truth to us, that gives us hope in Christ, that feeds us to the core of our beings, and that is true life. Thank you that it always leads us and points us to your son, Jesus Christ. We pray that you would now bless the preaching of your word, that it may fall on, on fertile soil and may yield an abundant crop for your glory. So we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Now there are many people in this world in human history who have promised heaven on earth now. They have promised utopia now. Uh, all of them think, uh, think of people like Karl Marx, promised a communist utopia. People like Adolf Hitler, who promised a utopia of an um, of, of a, of a Aryan race. Um, all sorts of people over human history have promised a, a, some sort of heaven on earth. And the thing is, if you believe that heaven can be attained in this life, well, then there are going to be significant implications on how you live. Okay, your attitude will be that well, you need to bank everything on this life. Okay, live literally like there's no tomorrow. And you will find suffering or uh, sickness or pain, something uh, abnormal and something to be avoided at all costs. Because... These things are, are absent from him. Or you will have the temptation to accumulate as much wealth as you can in order to create your own heavenly home right here on earth. So you'll want to live how you please. Okay, you want to, you'll want to gratify your every desire and follow your heart in order to make this life like, like your heaven. Now, every time that that has been tried on earth, it hasn't typically gone too well. Hey, you think of, of how 
Um, utopian dreams usually end in, in heartbreak. And it's, it's a, a similar version of this is the message of the prosperity gospel, which is promising all of heaven right here on earth now. And this is all too common in our church context. The, the promise of, of health, the promise of wealth, of, of happiness, live a life of heaven on earth. Now, as we're going to see in this text, and we saw also last week, that this message is really nothing new. Yeah, the early church faced their own version of the prosperity gospel. And in fact, Paul has in mind a form of prosperity gospel that he's um, addressing in, in the text. And these false teachers of the prosperity gospel, they were so focused on living their best life on earth that they actually lost sight of heaven itself. And so what we're going to see this morning in, in this text is that because our citizenship is in heaven, we are to live here on earth holding on to a future heavenly hope. So just two points this morning. And the first point is live your best life now with a question mark. Okay. <laughs> And live as citizens of heaven. So, first point, live your best life now. Now, if you, were, if you heard last week's message and you remember the passage that we looked at just prior to, to these verses, um, we saw that Paul was addressing the same false teachers, the early version, early church version of the prosperity gospel. They believe that Christians can attain the fullness of salvation now. Okay, they can attain sinless perfection this side of eternity. Enjoy heaven on earth um, because they believed that they were already glorified, that they were, in a sense, already resurrected. And the, the other thing that was often associated with this belief was um, what we call antinomianism. Okay, the word literally means anti the law. And so it's kind of a, a sick, twisted logic that, that gets you to, to this place. And it's this, is that they believe that since they had attained sinless perfection now, right now in this age, therefore it didn't matter what you would do with your body. Because you're right with God already, you're already glorified, you're already resurrected. You can live as you please. You can fulfill any desire, what you, what you like. You, you can do whatever you want to, to make you happy. So our passage starts off in verse 17 in the light of this. And says, brothers, join in imitating me and keeping your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So in the light of the influence of these false teachers at Philippi, Paul is now, he encourages the Philippian church not to be distracted by them. And instead, he calls them to imitate him and other mature believers. And that they to keep their eyes on those who walk the walk. Uh, a, a trait of false teachers is that they, they sound spiritual in what they say, but their lives don't reflect their supposed spirituality. And the thing is, that the mark of a true Christian 
is that your confession of faith is backed up by your lifestyle. Okay, good works empowered by the Holy Spirit naturally flow from genuine belief in Christ. And so this is why Paul encourages the Philippians to keep their eyes fixed on those who are walking the walk. Okay, not the guys who just talk the talk, who know all the, the lingo, but um, their, their lives bear no resemblance at all to, to a Christian life. So he's saying, look to mature Christians who demonstrate in their lives a deep love for Christ, a deep love for, for his word, who, who live with integrity, who live with humility, um, discipline, purity, who persevere through suffering and who have a heart to serve the church. So look up to Christians like that. Keep your eyes on them as an example for your own lives. So why does he say this? Okay, verse 18 continues. For many of whom I've often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross. So he's saying keep your eyes on those who walk the walk and those who walk in the way of Christ because there are many People, they claim to be Christians, they claim to be spiritual, but who actually false teachers. And specifically, he has in mind his opponents, the, the best life now, guys, the prosperity gospel folks. And what Paul's saying that is this group, specifically, who don't walk as true believers, but instead they walk as enemies of the cross. Strong language. Well, how so? How do they walk as enemies of the cross? Well, verse 19 tells us exactly how. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. So... The phrase here, their God is their belly, it's clear here that Paul is, has in mind those who, uh, who desire to live their best life now. The, the health, wealth, and happiness crowd. Okay, because this group believed that the, the resurrection had already happened, they were living all in the now of the kingdom. They, they believed they had attained a higher form of, of spiritual life. They had attained sinless Perfection, the fullness of salvation. The irony of this is that they, this belief then led to them pursuing all sorts of sin. Well, how so? Well, you see, they, they embraced a, a, a radical dualism. Okay, it was a trait of, of Gnosticism. And these guys were kind of proto-Gnostics. And these what the Gnostics believed, and these guys were you know, a form of, of, of Gnostics, they believed that the spirit was superior to the body. Okay, and us, they believed that all human spirits, that um, in Christ we, we are made perfect, in ourselves we are made gods, we, we are godlike in our spirit, while our bodies are inherently evil. Inherently fleshly and corrupt. And so they had this 
dualistic outlook on life. So on the one hand, they believed they were perfect in their spirit. They already glorified in, in their spirit, but they were trapped in this yucky, evil body. So because they believed that all that mattered was your spirit, the only thing important of your being was your spirit, the logic was, well, then it doesn't actually matter what I do with this, because this is just a clump of evilness anyway. So I might as well do what the heck I want, because this has no implication with my spiritual life. You see, it's a twisted logic then that leads to licentiousness, which they embraced. Following your heart, they, they did whatever made them feel good. Um, by satisfying all, all their desires, the needs of your belly. Because, as the text says, they believe that their God was their belly. And so what this is referring to is certainly gluttony. Okay, making food your God, eating, you know, till the cows come home and serving food as, as your God. Drunkenness, okay, the sin of drunkenness, consumerism, materialism, okay, getting consumed with stuff that's going you think is going to satisfy you, whether it's food or drink or things. But what is Probably the, the main focus here in, in this phrase is sexual immorality. Is the Greek word that's used for belly here is used elsewhere in the New Testament, meaning sexual appetites. And so really it, it encapsulates the attitude that because you only live once, well then it means you know just fulfill every sexual desire you have. Um and it's, so it's this, this view of sex that, that is purely a, a physical act okay, with, with no spiritual implications. And the, the view of sex was like nothing more than um, scratching your leg or picking your nose. Okay, <laughs> just a, a, a bodily function which you know, has, has no bearing on on your spirit, on, on God. And so they believe that you could do whatever you wanted with your body sexually because it had no bearing on where you stand with God because your body in itself is evil and the only thing that matters is, is your spirit, which is, is pure. And as you can imagine, this is a profoundly anti-biblical and anti-Christian view of the body. Yeah, it's instead, it, it's, it's, it's a consistent pagan view and a consistent Gnostic view of, of, of the body. And the result of this view of the body is that in verse 19, it says, they glory in their shame. So people who live to feed the God of their belly ultimately become so calloused and so hardened in their heart that they they freely boast about their sins. They flaunt their dishonorable and indecent actions, their sexual escapades. And they're proud of things that, that most people would be utterly ashamed of. And ultimately, this manner of walking, living your best life now, it reveals, verse 19 says, it reveals that your mind is set on earthly things. 
See, the irony of thinking that you can have heaven on earth now is actually that you become consumed with earthly things and not heavenly things. Yeah, because this life and all that goes with it becomes the ultimate goal. Because you've already arrived at your heavenly destination. It's already here on earth. So therefore, the, the satisfaction of your earthly appetites, which is all manner of sin, is, is really the end point of where this belief goes. So what then is the result of this, of pursuing earthly pleasures at all costs, of living your best life now? Well, verse 19, very stark. And it says, the beginning of the verse, the end is destruction. See, what you do with your body matters. There are always spiritual implications. Because our body and spirit are inextricably connected. If you sin with your body, you sin with your spirit. And this is exactly why 1 Corinthians 6.13 says, The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. So because the penalty of sin is death, those who, who make a practice of sin in this life, and that's, must distinguish that phrase there. This is what the you know, language of, of 1 John chapter 2. Those who make a practice of sin, it's those who are hard-hearted in actively doing this and who are unrepentant of sin in this age. They will be destroyed by God. That's why 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 10 says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Let's bring us to our second point, and this is not how we do live as Christians. This is alien to a Christian lifestyle. Because as believers in Christ, we're not to be set on earthly things. We're not to desire to live our best life now. Instead, Paul points us heavenward. He says in verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Brothers and sisters, this, the, this life on earth is not our end goal. Instead, we understand that as Christians, we are citizens of heaven. We are living in hope of a coming Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. So now Paul uses this term citizenship deliberately for his Philippian audience. I think we looked at this when we opened up the, um, the, the letter you know, some weeks ago. term for citizenship here is, is very purposeful because it's the residents of Philippi would understand a truth. Okay, and this truth is this, that although Philippi was, was hundreds of miles, okay, it's modern-day Greece, it's hundreds of miles away from the city of Rome, the capital of the empire, 
Philippi was unique in that it enjoyed a special status within the Roman Empire as a, a colony of Rome. Okay, Roman citizenship, it wasn't automatically um, given by virtue of being born within the vast empire. Okay, South Africans, if you're born on South African soil, you're given a South African citizenship. That's not how things worked back then. Okay, Roman citizenship was only granted to a select few. But because Philippi was a Roman colony, its residents enjoyed the special privilege of Roman citizenship. Yeah, also, Paul was a Roman citizen as well. And there were, the, the citizenship came with certain benefits. Yeah, you were protected under Roman law. You couldn't just be locked up in jail for no reason. You had to have it. You were afforded a trial. You got tax breaks. Yeah, but it also came with responsibilities. As a Roman citizen, you expected to live an honorable life and a dignified life as you represented glorious Rome. And even though you lived in your life in Philippi, hundreds of miles away from, from the eternal city, okay, far off from Rome, you, you, you lived as citizens of Rome in a foreign land. And so what's Paul's point of using the citizenship language here, specifically to the Philippians, well, they understood this. Because they were themselves citizens of a country, but they were living in a foreign land. They were not living in Rome, they were living in Philippi. So as Christians, while we live here on earth, we are but pilgrims passing through. This is not our native country. Okay, we are sojourners in a foreign land. We are very much, we should consider ourselves foreigners to this earth. Because our life here is not the goal. It's not the end. Instead, okay, our, because our citizenship is in heaven, we are to live reflecting the values of our true home. So, this has massive implications of how we are to live our lives. The fact that we are, are citizens of heaven. Well, firstly, because our citizenship is in heaven, it means that this world is, is not our home. Okay, so like Abraham, he lived in tents as, as a sojourner and a foreigner in the land of Canaan. Okay, he understood that he was just passing through the land of Canaan because he knew his true home was the heavenly Jerusalem. So he didn't make things too permanent in the land of Canaan. He understood he was just passing through. It's the same with us. We are just passing through on, on this earth. And so what that means is that we're we not to live like the best life now, heaven on earth crowd. Okay, as if the, this life is all there is, following the passions of the flesh and satisfying every appetite of the belly and thinking you know, misguidedly that if we don't partake of these things now, these pleasures now, we're going to miss out on life. 
Instead, our lifestyles should be vastly different from those who are in the world. Okay, we're called to be salt and light. We're called to have a different sexual ethic to the world, to have a different behavior, morality. We, 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 we cannot just live how we please, to live our, our best life now with, with, with no reference to God. Okay, we to live as, our, as citizens of heaven. We're not to bank on this world because we've got a, and we're not to think that oh, if we don't engage in things and uh, the, 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 the promised pleasures of this world that somehow we're missing out. Well, actually, we got the promise of an infinitely better world to come with heavenly pleasures beyond our comprehension. So we are called out to be holy as God is holy and to live in obedience to, to his word and bring glory to him as citizens of heaven living on earth. Now, also because this world is not our ultimate home, well, we are to expect pain and suffering. We to embrace really the reality of this sin-cursed world as unnatural as it is okay that tragedy and, and heartbreak and betrayal and sickness and death are unfortunately a part of this fallen reality there's no use trying to deny this fact and instead we don't understand that because our citizenship is in heaven in spite of all the brokenness and messed upness of this world, we can live with hope in spite of the present darkness. If we believe our citizenship is in heaven, then it means that we're not going to let this, our circumstances overwhelm us because we know that this is not all there is. We know that one day we are going to be set free from sin and the curse in the new creation. It should give us immense hope in the midst of the darkness. And it should give us assurance that because we are citizens of heaven, our future in Christ is already sealed. It speaks to our election. We can have assurance of faith. If Christ has called us, if he has predestined us to salvation, if he has justified us, he's granted us our passport already now. Okay, and it's that hope that, and the promise that we will be um, glorified in him and raised to life. That nothing can snatch us from his hand. Okay, but this, the second implication of, of this is that because our citizenship is in heaven, on the other hand, it doesn't mean that we are to retreat from this world and to deny ourselves the good things that God has created for us to enjoy here on earth. Okay, it also means that we, we um, it doesn't mean that we are to, to cut ourselves off from this world and, and have no unbelieving friends or disengage from the culture and retreat into some kind of a, a monastery. Okay, no, we, it is good to engage in this world to have business in the world, to have unbelieving friends and family and do engage in government and 
culture, but in a way that preserves our Christian witness. In a way in which we conduct ourselves in an honorable manner. That's why 1 Timothy 2 verse 2 says that we are to lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. So we to live honorable lives among unbelievers. Yeah, so that they may be pointed to God through, through our good works. And we are also free to enjoy God's gifts of common grace. Yeah, whether it be good food and drink and marriage and family and friends. We are free to enjoy these good gifts to us, obviously without making them into idols. But above all, we have to realize that our true home is still to come. Okay, our citizenship is in heaven, as the text says. So ultimately, this means that we're not to get too attached to the, the good things of life here. That on the one hand, don't get too attached to things here. On the other hand, you don't get, we don't need to get... We, we don't get overwhelmed by the tragedies and disappointments of this life either. 1 John 2.17 says, The world is passing away along with all its desires. So therefore, our hope doesn't lie here. Our hope and our treasure lies in heaven. End of, of verse 20 and 21 conclude. For from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So our hope ultimately lies in our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, the goal of our faith, our true prize. And if we are in Christ now, we have the assurance that he will complete our salvation by bringing us into eternal glory with him in heaven. And what will that look like? Well, this verse gives us a little glimpse here. Okay, will we be as Paul's opponents who embraced a dualistic and agnostic uh, philosophy believed, will we be released from this, this fleshly and yucky body to exist as spirits floating on clouds? No, that is a profoundly anti-Christian, anti-unbiblical view of, of the world to come. Instead, when the Lord returns, the dead will be raised up and those of us who, who are, will be found in Christ will be transformed by his, the text says, his immeasurable power from our lowly, decaying natural bodies into new imperishable, physical, glorious resurrection bodies, which will be just like Jesus' own resurrection body. In, in other words, they will be fit for eternal life in the new creation. This is why 1 Corinthians 15, 51 to 53 says, But behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. But we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we shall be changed. 
For this perishable body must put on the imperishable. And this mortal body must put on immortality. So brothers and sisters, then and only then, as citizens of heaven, will be, we be raised with imperishable bodies, having reached our true destination, our, our true home, our true promised land, our heavenly country. And there we shall dwell forever with our God and worship him face to face in all his glory and majesty and beauty. So to bring this all together, now we are ever faced with this temptation in, in, in this age to make our lives here on earth like heaven. Okay, whether it's a striving for, for perfect health, for abundant wealth, for immeasurable happiness, and to live as if this earthly existence is all there is. You see, the problem is that the more we set our minds on earthly things, the more our belly, the more our appetites become our God. They become our idol. And the more we devote our lives to this God, to this idol, to pursue, the more we pursue sinful appetites. Because idols lead us into sin. And the end point of this is destruction. Because the penalty of sin is death. And though we all deserve death for pursuing our own sinful desires, by thinking that this world is, is all there is to it, there's good news in all of this. And the good news is that God sent his son to earth, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he came to call wayward sinners like you and me to himself. To grant us citizenship of heaven. And how did he do it? Well, unlike us, Jesus, only Jesus lived the perfectly righteous life. And he died a death on the cross that, that all of us deserved. But on the third day, God raised him to life. And because of his resurrection, he gives us precisely what we don't deserve. The forgiveness of our sins clothes us in Christ's own righteousness and grants us with the, the promise of eternal life through his giving us a new passport, citizen, citizenship of heaven for those of us who would believe in his name. So repent and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, the only Savior. They trust him who empowers us to live honorably for his glory as citizens of heaven here on earth. And trust him who is going to return in glory on the clouds of heaven. And on that day will transform in the twinkling of an eye our bodies to be like his own glorious body. And usher us into our true home in heaven where he will be our God and we will dwell with him as his own people forever. Amen.